Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Welcome back, Stephen, to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. This is, uh, it's, it's you and me. We're going to hash through a lot of different topics here today. So Indeed uh, we are. I guess, um, well, how are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing fine. I've had uh, 10 days in Scandinavia, a little bit of an adventure. Um, lots of maps found in Scandinavia. Beautiful subway maps, um, beautiful art exhibitions. Yeah, had a great time. So, but back in London now. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, since we last spoke, it was a, it was a couple of weeks ago, but I, I had the delightful experience of attending Geomob Lisbon. So, oh, lovely city! Lovely yes. city. I was I was in Lisbon for another conference, um, which was great. And, but then we also, uh, you know, I coordinated with uh, Miguel and Joanna, um, our organizers in Lisbon, and we had a great GMOP Lisbon, the second one, um, four very good talks. Uh, I was one of the speakers, so uh, so three very good talks. Three very you? good talks, and uh, or no, I think there are four other talks. It was myself and four others. Um, okay. I basically, I gave kind of a rehash of the talk that I had given it uh, when we attended Geomob Tel Aviv a couple of months ago. But um, but no, it was a great, great scene, very good venue. Uh, we had about, um, I don't know, 25, 30 people. And then afterwards, we went out for some beers. And uh, it, it was good. It could. And every, everyone seemed to have really enjoyed it. And people were anxious for the next one. So hopefully... I think hopefully we'll have another GMOB Lisbon in the uh, in the spring at some point. And has there been one in Finland? Did I? F- no, it's it's coming up uh, in in two weeks, November 9th. November 9th right. will be the the in northern Finland, which unfortunately I'm not going to attend, but um, I have no doubt it's going to go well. And actually, very shortly, I'm going to be interviewing one of the speakers here on the podcast. Right, and that's going to be inside the Arctic Circle, isn't it? I'm not, I, is, is it actually above the Arctic Circle? I'm not so. I'm not sure about that. But well, you may, I think you're right. I, I would need to. I need to get out the old map and have a look. But um, it's north. It's very north. Yeah. it's very north. Did you know the Arctic Circle moves? Why does the Arctic Circle move? I thought it was just a uh, a line of. Uh, well, it what? is a. It's a notional line, but for some reason it moves. I, I was. We were because we were. In Norway, and um, yeah. we were get, sort of getting closer to the Arctic Circle. We weren't that far north in Norway, but we got to sort of a dinner conversation which was around what's in the Arctic Circle and what's not in the Arctic Circle sort of thing. You know, and Tromso in Norway, I know, is the most northern major city in Norway, and that is in the Arctic Circle. But it made us look at where it was, and then I discovered that it moves about... 15 meters a year or something. Why? Because uh, of plate tectonics or something? Or no, because the angle of rotation of the Earth is moving slightly or, or something like this. Oh, I don't know. I mean, listen, this is a topic we can come back yeah, to. Yeah, I'm going to need some investigation on this, Stephen. I think we'll is... both go and do some research on the Arctic Circle. And by the time we talk about... Geomob Finland next time will both be briefed on the Arctic Circle and we can explain it to our listeners. 
Well, you know, we do these on Mastodon. We do these geo weirdness threads about the, yeah. the the different weird facts about different countries, and we have actually done Norway. Um, but I've toyed with the idea of trying to do one about these kind of man-made lines, like the anti-meridian yeah. or um, or the Arctic Circle or the different, you know, the Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, and things like that, and and uh, how they do actually have real-world implications. Uh, based also because of that excellent talk at GeoMob London last, uh, oh. you know, about the anti-meridian. That was a very good talk. Yeah. So, but I haven't, I don't quite have it together yet, but this could, I'm intrigued by this movement of the Arctic Circle. I'm going to have to look into that. Okay. All right. Trust me. Um, do you want another useless fact? Please. Come on. Why else right. are we here? <laughs> Right. Nothing to do with geography. Uh, Vikings never had horns on their helmets. Uh, I think I did know that, actually. Okay. Did, right. did you go, do, there's that excellent uh, Viking, or the Viking Boat Museum in Oslo. Did you go to that one? on the Closed. Yeah. It's closed for uh, a refurbishment or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we did lots of Viking stuff and other stuff. It was a great trip. So... Yeah. Um, and if you look on Mapperi in a couple of weeks' time, there's a post coming up about um, uh, an, an art exhibition that I went to, which had the most phenomenal pieces of work um, by a um, Dominican artist um, using maps as a background, sort of about colonial struggles and slavery and all sorts of things. Really brilliant stuff. So look out for that on Mapri in a couple of weeks' time. It's going to be a great post. Very nice. So what's happening with Open Cage? Any? What have we been up to? We, we're dealing with another round. I think this is kind of related to the back-to-school effect, but... You know, long-time listeners will know we have this problem where people think they can geocode a phone number, a mobile phone number, and uh, and it wasn't helped by ChatGPT. No, and it wasn't ChatGPT. Also, I, I don't. I'm not sure if it still does or if it, it doesn't. But but ChatGPT would kind of tell people that they could use our geocoding API to geocode a mobile phone number. So we're getting lots and lots of those people still, despite. You know, numerous changes to kind of our sign-up flow and to our process to try to make it clear to people. But so that's an endlessly frustrating situation. Then we also had Stephen. I, 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 I if, if you'll indulge me in a slight rant here. Oh, um, go please do okay, that. So uh, you know, this little platform we've built here to broadcast to the world. Maybe I can use it to to get get some of my anger off here. So we use, amongst, amongst others, we use the, um, the money transfer service WISE. Uh, so it, oh, used to be, yeah. it used to be called TransferWISE and, and that's called WISE. And one of the features that they have is that you can have a bank account or, or a holding account in different currencies. So um, we're a European business, but we have, we have several larger customers in the US and they want to pay by transfer to a US bank. So WISE gives us a US bank number and a, a US dollar denominated account. And we've had that for several years. It's all worked great, very good, very happy with the service. And I, until this week, I would, I would, I would heart, heartfeltly recommend WISE to anyone. 
Me too. Me too. Until this week, uh, or last week, why I was on about the 12th of the month of October. Wise sent us an email telling him, telling us that our U.S. bank account details would be changing on October 28th. So with about two weeks' notice. So less than 30 days' notice, which is the typical payment cycle. So we have outstanding invoices that our customers have with the old payment details on them. So now I have to write to the customers and say, you know, please pay to this other bank account numbers. And you know, some of the customers, thankfully, have been very helpful and have done that, and some have not. And oh, and Boise has told us, like, after the October 28th, all payments will bounce that are made to the old details. So that's a complete disaster of a fire alarm, Stephen, that you have to untangle and, and unsort and try to, you know, we'll, we'll see. We still have not received all outstanding, you know, it, the payment cycle hasn't completed yet. So we're going to see whether my customers manage to pay us or not. So... I get that you're frustrated. I would be frustrated as well if I was trying to do this. But is this a wise problem or is this a US banking problem? Stephen, clearly it's my problem. No. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, no, no, I, 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 I think what happened, so behind the scenes, Wives works with some partner and I don't know what, any, for whatever reason, that relationship has ended on very, uh, very short notice. So I'm fine that they change partner. I'm just, you know, they should, we, they should give us 90 days notice or something, not 12 days. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, because now, you know, if we, like, as I said, even less than one payment cycle. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. So, so obviously I went online to complain about this. And, and then I saw, I found many other people complaining about this and also many other things. And really... It has really made me call into question whether WISE is a re- dependable, reliable service where my company can put its money or not, frankly, I have to say. So anyway, this is a, 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 a perhaps a very honest behind the scenes peek at what goes down when you run a geocoding company, Stephen. People think it's, all, <laughs> think it's the glamour of... of of geocoding, but the stark reality is you're you're often disentangling snafus of that nature. So, so going back to the phone number reverse yeah. geocoding, um, I I asked ChatGPT how how do I geocode a phone number? Yeah, and I won't give you the whole thing, but it says. Third-party APIs. There might be APIs available that claim to offer geocoding through phone numbers. However, be cautious with such services as they might have limited accuracy and impinge on privacy regulation. So they've clearly changed from sending every nutcase to you. Yeah, well, we still get a lot of nutcases, Stephen, because, I mean, ChatGPT, that's wonderful that they've they've fixed that. Um, but, but again, just to be completely uh, clear to the audience, we've never claimed we can geocode phone numbers. No. We have made no claim of the sort. <coughs> Quite the opposite, actually. But so the bigger problem now, ChatGPT is, is, from what I can tell from the people who has uh, the, the limited bits of information we get, 
The bigger problem is you have these people, YouTube videos and people publishing different libraries that are on GitHub and stuff. And if you look at them, it really does look like it should work. I mean, they really try to make the claim that it, that it should work. And again, many of these people, based on the countries that they're signing up from, are not native English speakers. You know, Maybe they can kind of read English a bit, but typically they're not very experienced programmers either. So the typical demographic is, let's say, like a, I don't know, a Sri Lankan first-year computer science student. Or, or um, I mean, not to pick on Sri Lanka, but that 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 is kind of the demographic that we're dealing with, and yeah, it's um, and and it's funny. The re some people get really mad when it doesn't work, and I'm like, why on earth would you think this would work? Show me anywhere on my website that makes any claim that we can do this, you know? And it's just endlessly frustrating because it's every day it's a new battle of just repeating the same, you know, the same thing. So I'm sure I've said it before, but why do you find it necessary? Do you consider it worthwhile offering any support at all to free accounts? Well, I, I, obviously we have templated answers or whatever. Um, so it's not as if I'm handcrafting a, a three-page email to answer these people, but... Um, I don't want people to, I mean, partially it's just like, you know, you, 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 I don't want something to be wrong on the internet, Stephen, but it's, it's <laughs> you know, I, the, the problem is in the age of SEO, I mean, you know, so one person writes a blog post that just says, oh, open cage is crap, you know, they yeah, don't do, guess, you know then you're kind of screwed. You know, I mean, this was the whole issue of how ChatGPT even started to think that we could do this. Is the people write these blog posts and then, you know, the crawler picks it up. And so. Isn't it amazing that ChatGPT has actually corrected itself? Well, I or think. partially corrected itself. Yeah, but I think that that may be because, you know, we wrote up a whole blog post explaining this and it got a lot of coverage. I mean, we got to the top of Hacker News. And, uh, you know, had a huge, I mean, if you look at the, the traffic graphs for our blog, it's like super, super, super low. And then a huge spike when we, when we promoted that story and, and really got that story going because this was back in, I think it was in February or so, like ChatGPT was still, had just come out. And this was one of the first clear cases of where ChatGPT was really it. wrong. So... Um, and even to this day, there are times that that blog post continues to get cited when people write about um, about the challenges of, of of these large language models and things. So um, anyway, yeah. So summing it up, it's all laughs over here at OpenCage. It's all it's uh, you know good times are being had. Um, we have no. In fairness, we have had some some. Things have been going quite well. It's in, in, on the commercially for the last couple couple months, kind of since since the end of the summer, um, and we've actually been approached by several kind of bigger players to to participate in our kind of RFP process, which um, is a pain. It's a pain. It's a pain. But you know, hopefully, hope maybe you know we'll come out the other side with a new big customer. So so let's see. Let's see. Okay. All right. 
So wait, I have in, one one other announcement though, Stephen. Before oh, go, I add that in, before I forget, is um, I just want to tell our listeners we have now set the date for the uh, next London um, event, which will be in January, January twenty fourth. Um, and then also the next Berlin event, which will be February 21st. So um, get signed up for those. And uh, actually, we have we have a pretty full speaking lineup for both events already. So um, and they both look great. So cool. Hope you can join us. And I'm hopeful we're going to do another Barcelona event in February. Let's see. Okay, so we've got a few events coming up. Yeah. Of course, we didn't have an event in Tel Aviv for obvious reasons. Um, it's been a difficult time for everybody on all sides of the conflict. Um, and all we can do is hope that somehow people find a resolution to this and that uh, our friends out there all can stay safe. Indeed, um, indeed. I don't know what else to say, um, but need to say something, I guess. Yes, um, my thoughts as well go out to all the members of the, uh, the Tel Aviv community and... Um, had a wonderful time out there in June, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully, so we can return to some semblance of normal, whatever that means in 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 the near future. So, so in topical um, geo news, Ed, um, and actually following on from that, to uh, Google switched off um, traffic information. Um, on their service in both Gaza and Israel um, a couple of days after the conflict started. Um, it was very fast that they did it. Um, and what was interesting is they switched off the traffic information so you don't get the traffic information of where their crowds or anything. But they didn't change their routing. Hmm. Well, first of all, I suspect this is probably a reaction to the situation in Ukraine. You know, remember when, when yeah. the war happened, in, yeah. it was started in Ukraine, and you could see the Russian troop build up on because of... Correct, yeah. I, I don't remember if it was Waze or it was Google itself, but um, yeah, it, it adds a new dimension to, to uh, these things. I guess for me, the question would be, is this... Is this Google taking this action unilaterally, or was this some sort of government-imposed mandate? Um, obviously, you could imagine if you're trying to build up your military forces, you don't, you don't, you don't want that to be public knowledge, right? So, um. I think it was more. Firstly, I think it was Google. I don't know. I've got no evidence for that, but in conversations. It would appear that it was Google, and it wasn't so much about a build-up of mil of being able to detect the build-up of military forces because that's been that's been on the TV screens on the news. Yeah, but not the, the exact location, you know, well, not the exact concentration um, and things. And and certainly with the satellites flying over, um, you can see that build-up. You know, ah, but does, I mean. Uh, but so people people have satellites can, but I'm not sure. Does okay. Hamas have satellites? Or not? I think the uh, the thinking behind it, um, from what I understood from message that came from a friend out there, was that um, on both sides the traffic. If you know where the traffic jams are, that might be um, 
a useful bit of information in targeting missiles? Uh, I mean, obviously kind of horrifying to think that that would be the case, but yeah, sure. I guess um, that I could. And that was apparently, well, that's what I was told was the thing about yeah. it. And it. It made me think, and um, I can't remember, 10, 15 years ago, Ed Parsons and I were um, sharing a platform at an event on location and privacy. Um I can't remember where it was, somewhere in London, and we were both talking about location and privacy. And um, I was talking about the fact that there were all sorts of unintended consequences that we were going to discover about sharing location. Um, you know, and one of those, you know, at the time... I think we thought about individuals sharing location, but what we're realizing now is that there are sort of more aggregated issues where sharing location is potentially um, a risk. And also, um, in the last year since uh, your US Supreme Court, and I'm going to call it yours because it's certainly not mine, um, reversed Roe versus Wade, um, there's all sorts of issues around location privacy for people who might be traveling out of state to a, an abortion clinic. Sure. Um, and I know that Google's been quite resistant in providing um, information, but um, I think there's a limit under the law as to how resistant they can be. Well, this is, yeah, I mean, that that is obviously a deep, legal question is it really appropriate that the government knows where you are at all times i mean that seems fairly dystopian no but that would be very dystopian but if you are suspected of committing a crime right sure. should the gov should the police be able to request information on location um or to turn it around the other way, the slightly more challenging one, if a crime has been committed in an area... Should we be able to see who is there? Yeah, I mean, I know there are companies that offer this type of, this type of service. Um, it does get a bit dystopian. I mean, particularly yeah. when you think kind of about the aspects of, you know profiling of people based on their backgrounds and things and very quickly you're in a situation where you know uh, the computer says this person you know is highly likely to commit a crime so mm. we better but but they haven't actually committed a crime you know that's yeah very troubling i mean i have to say the whole i, I mean there's so many things about about this this current conflict but also the you know the war in ukraine or whatever where I mean, for the first time, we're seeing a war kind of in real time on social networks, right? And and yeah. you you it's very traumatic and desensitizing, and but also very difficult to know like what is true. You know, is, is this explosion? You know, and you see how quickly how quickly the bad information gets pumped out and distributed and amplified mm -hmm. and egged on. Uh, and so, yeah, this does really create a new dimension into how we think about these these conflicts. 
in terms of the 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 PR ramification of different things and the, the the swaying of the popular mood and how quickly things can tip and and we've completely taken on board now or many of us in the tech world the term open source intelligence yeah right yeah I mean if you just think of those the first phrase and the last word the idea that intelligence would be open sourced is complete anathema to the security services i would imagine i i would imagine so i mean and yet you know now we've got um we had that that guy didn't you have that guy on the podcast sure sure the um yeah line of control line of, line of control, control guy yeah. Um, you know, who was doing amazing work. He's working at the New York Times now. now he's at the New York Times, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have to say, though, it, it really is... I really feel like the, this, the, the access to all this information, not just the information, but the visual effect, and it, it really does... And then we pump that out on networks, which are specifically designed to, to amplify engagement and... It's really deeply stressful. You know, yeah. you're continually exposed to all these things where, you know, a decade ago or a generation ago, truly you would have been blissfully yeah. ignorant. You know, yeah. you don't need to know every little twist and turn of what's happening on every, every bit of the front line and, and in every part of the world. In every part of the world. And, you know, obviously there's always been conflict. And, and at, at times horrific things, but it's we weren't all experiencing them all in real time. No, no. And I really do it's, think this this contributes to the general sense of unease and unhappiness, and certainly does in the Feldman household. I can tell you. Um, so, in other geo news, um, yeah, let's move on to happier topics. Yes. So. Um, we all, well, those of us who live in England know that the British Postal Service is quite remarkable. Um, and come the period in the run-up to Christmas, um, they get thousands of letters addressed to Santa Claus. Yes. Um, and they have a little department which collects all of these letters and I think sends a reply from Santa to each of these kids, which is pretty cool and rather sweet, you know, and everything. Um, and this is a lead-in. You know it's a lead-in and you know where I'm going with this. Um, so our friend Chris Sheldrick, who is the founder and CEO of What Three Words. Um, and a former GMOB speaker. And a former GMOB speaker. And... Um, he had quite a neat idea. He wrote himself a letter and addressed it to himself using his the what three words address of his home. Yeah. Um, dog, banana, canary, or whatever his home address is. That's not Chris's. Yeah, yeah the actual address is blanked out on the letter. But, um, yeah. but, but he used it. Yeah. And he... Um, he stuck this in a post box and go on, you carry on. And, and the letter arrived, the letter duly arrived uh, with the little handwritten note where someone, uh, some employee of the postal service, I presume, had converted it into the 
more traditional UK address. Um, yeah. But it arrived. It arrived. Yeah. So yeah, it arrived. We saw, I saw this on Chris's LinkedIn feed. I will post a uh, a link in the show notes to to the his post on LinkedIn about this. So Chris mused a little bit about whether in their mission to make three-word addresses generic around the world, this was a major step forward. Um, I don't know what you think. Well, I think it is very cool that they have achieved that level of awareness. I mean, certainly I think we can all be in awe, whatever your opinion of what three words. I know there are many people who um, have a negative opinion. Uh, very, very impressive marketing efforts that they have succeeded in creating awareness of this concept um, to, to such a point that someone could put it in the put a letter in the mailbox and it actually arrived. So, yeah, and I mean, I think to put that in a little bit more context, there is a department in the postal service which endeavours to resolve. Um, misrepresented addresses um so you know if you write the white house on the corner of little lane and long street um that's not a correct postal address and if you haven't got a postcode theoretically the postman wouldn't be able to deliver it but actually there's a a person in each sorting office or something who does try and resolve some of those addresses. Well, um, I once saw a very, very cool video on the U.S. Postal Service of how the issue there is not just that people put in partial addresses or whatever, or, or but but just penmanship. Some people just have terrible, terrible, you know, writing. Yeah. And there's a whole department, you know, that tries to train the AI to decipher the the, right. the letters, and and ultimately, in the end, maybe a human has to get involved, of course, and, yeah. and try to. But that doesn't take away from the fact that what you said, um, their marketing has been sufficiently effective that the people working in the postal deciphering department knew that. Dog Bone Canary or whatever was a what three words address and knew that if they went to their website, they could they resolve could that address. Decipher um, it. Yeah. They could decipher it. So that was pretty cool. Um, Stephen, if I may, if I may egg on the what three word trolls here who are going to no doubt uh, get all angry that. Um, you know, they shouldn't, we shouldn't be supporting this proprietary system. No doubt they would have preferred that Chris had used the Postal Service's own cryptic proprietary system of UK postcodes. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> this, I, is, this is one of my big arguments about the people who complain about what three words, the hypocrisy of saying, oh, you know, the three words don't make any sense, or, oh, we can't use a proprietary system. And then when you ask them where they live, they oh, I live at EC2Y8PL. No, they don't. That, that's where I used to live. Yeah, some people right. do. So. No, they don't. People right. do yeah. talk all the time about, oh, I live in N1. I live in, in W3. Okay. All the time. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. That's very different. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I... I've been incredibly restrained, you know, and you know that amongst the what three word trolls, I am certainly a fellow traveler. You're, you're in uh, there, Stephen. You are in there. I'm definitely, yes. in, I'm definitely in there, right? And I, 
I'm unashamedly in there, yeah. right? Um, we describe, yeah, you say you live in North London, yeah. right? Yeah, then you say you maybe you live in Islington, yeah. right? You rarely say that you live in even that first bit of the postcode, N1. Oh, no, right? I know people would say, I've heard people say that. I live in but N6. What so, you whatever. never hear is you never hear somebody say, Where do you live? And they say, N13AB. That is true, Stephen. But very often, if you order a package or a cab, or they, then you say, Oh, the cab should come to EC2Y8VL. Okay, right. And that one six, usually six, sometimes seven digit. Oh. Um, alphanumeric is the one thing that you need to remember that works with almost every service. Yes. Right. Um, Let's, I mean, I think the more interesting thing is that if I say I live on the house on the corner of White Lane and Black Street in... Wherever. Islington. Yeah. In Islington, right? Everybody can find that house if they want to. They have to find, they have to find white, you know, the two roads, but they can find it. If I say I live in the cottage halfway down such and such a street, people will find it, right? Um, You lived, when you lived in London, you lived in the Barbican, didn't you? EC2Y8BL. Right. Okay. I worked in Moorgate. Yeah. You and I both know that I worked near to where you lived, right? Because we know those locations. Yeah. Right? What was your old what three words address? I don't know because I I moved before what three words came out, so I I didn't use it. But, Stephen, I I take your point that obviously the Postal Service has had, uh, whatever it is, 130 years. No, no, I'm talking about vernacular geography. I'm not talking about the postal codes. I'm talking about the fact that when I say that I worked in Moorgate and you say you lived at the Barbican, those are two small areas. They're neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, and we know their proximity. But, but what three words is not designed to be a replacement for a vernacular description of the area. But it describes itself as an address. Fine, but just saying, oh, I live in Barbican is also not an address. I mean, no. Um, but you might be projecting here what, onto what, and this, this leads to one of my other complaints with the what three words trolls is the saying, I mean, if you go online, you see all these people ranting. And half of the complaints are not even factual. You know, they're like, oh, this is never going to work. It's only in English. You know, French people are never going to use it. Of course not. It's available in many different languages. It and, and, but, but people have all these weird complaints about um, what three words is designed to be a kind of the interface between digital and, and human, right? I mean, yes, so. And it works. And I was, I, I'm not saying it doesn't work, it goes wrong sometimes. Sure. But it does work, right? Um, whether it's an efficient mechanism of communicating location is up for argument. And 
but it definitely works. It, it has some pros and cons as a difference. But I can tell you, there is a segment of the population, which is probably not a big segment, um, but, you know, 2-3% of people who, for whatever reason, the address that they've been assigned by their postal service, uh, so in the UK, the Royal Mail, doesn't really work. Okay, for whatever reason, you know, the, 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 you know, maybe the postal code is placed somewhere else or whatever, you know, or like on the other side of the building. And so the, anyway, yeah. the end result is delivery drivers can't find it. Yeah. Okay. And that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. I mean, that sounds kind of funny until you can't order things or, you know, your deliveries are always getting misplaced and you, uh, or likewise, also imagine if you're a driver, you're, you're, you're a courier service, a delivery service. You know, and you do whatever, 50 deliveries a day, and, you know, some percentage of these deliveries are these problematic addresses. And how much time do you waste on that? What is the cost of that? Okay. And those, uh, those people, the, that, that segment of the population absolutely loves what three words. Okay. Okay, because okay. it solves their problem. I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, I'm very doubtful about your uh, evaluation of the size of the problem at 2 to 3%, but um, I would have – I think that's – I think, I think it probably varies by country, I have to say. Right. I mean, in the UK, there are very, very precise postcodes. In many countries, there are not. No, okay. I get so that. So it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. different from – But in other countries, you don't just use the postcode as a method of making deliveries. Sure, but I can tell you, like in the U.S., you just have a, a house number, and uh, you know the U.S. is a very big country, and so you mm. know that house number may be assigned to to a certain plot, but that doesn't tell you actually where where the where delivery should the go plot, or the, whatever exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. which access road that. and all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, however, right? Let me just as let me. I've never been overly critical of what three words on the fact that it, whether it works or doesn't work. I mean, it, when it doesn't work, it can be quite bad, but um, let's park, park all of that stuff about whether it works, right? Yeah. As a businessman, as a businessman, how many hundred million would you invest to solve a problem that is experienced by I'll use your number, 2 to 3% of the yeah. population. Worldwide? Bear in mind, this is a worldwide service. And, and I, I do think if you've ever, for example, tried to get to a meeting in India, probably in, in a country like that, it's much more than 2 to 3%. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, how much is the global e-commerce uh, delivery industry worth? A lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... The problem with what three words is, uh, like with any any of these addressing systems, is it's only useful if everyone uses it. So you've got to get to the point not only where people know it, but also every um, you know e-commerce form has it at the at the checkout, uh, and then the information just gets passed all the way through to the to the courier ultimately, which you know many times there are different companies along this chain, so. Somehow that data needs to be maintained and gotten through, which so that requires kind of software change or whatever. So, so my point is, there's a big um, initialization issue to get to get this uh, known and adopted and set up and and embraced. Nevertheless, once it is embraced, that would be hugely valuable. 
so so that's the bet. I mean, we can you okay. know we can we can say whether that's a good bet or a bad bet, but but that's the bet. But I think clearly, um, uh, you know, the size of that market worldwide is gargantuan, and if you can, you know. Credibly solve two to three percent of that. I don't know. I think that could be very valuable. Which anyway, I'm not saying. Uh, uh, I, I can't comment on all the the tactics of, of what three what what three words has done, and you know, was every spending decision. Uh, you know, like every single startup founder, I'm sure looking back on the last couple of years, they they have some regrets and things they would have done differently, and where they would have put different emphasis or whatever. But. That's the nature of the startup game. I mean, that's the that's yeah, the bet. Yeah. So, and most of yeah, it would appear that a lot of their investment has gone into marketing to get people in the post office to understand how to decode a what three words address and to get people in emergency services to yeah marketing also as i said you know they are doing this in many different countries so it's a global footprint so it, it, you know in different partnerships different integrations um sure I largely mean, once you've written once you've written the dictionary and allocated the dictionary in a different language to the 64 million squares or whatever it yeah. is that they've split the yeah. there's no work that that country's done there's no more work to do ever well it's, it's not that country it's that language it's that, that language, language rather right. sorry that language is done Right. Uh, um, yes, but you do need to do obviously. Uh, so you need integrations in those markets. You need education campaigns, marketing. You need to. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done. You know, there as, uh, you there know. is. Yes, yeah, so, there is to get the adoption. And, this, uh, this is why. The, again, so moving back to um, your dear friends, the trolls. All the people who are like, oh, well, you know, I, did, I, I this weekend I built my own system and it works just as well. And, you know, I'm sure it does technically. Who cares? It, you have to get the adoption and you have to get the integrations. And that's what you need the people for. And you need the partnerships. Um, and so, you know, all of that, all of that uh, you have to employ smart people and, and those people are going to cost money. And yep. that, that's yep. where the money goes. And time will tell. Time will tell. Time will um, tell. We'll see. You, I mean, as as a businessman, uh, yeah, I look from the commercial perspective. I look at this and I wonder how long they can keep raising funding um, in their quest to gain widespread adoption. Because um, yeah, they're up to 180 million of funding so far, and what? they're plowing through that at the rate of 20 or 30 mil a year. Um, that that's a very legitimate question. I mean, but but that's the that's the bet of any VC funded startup is that you're yeah. you're gonna, especially in this kind of winner takes all kind of market. It's like you know, can we use the money to get big enough that that the business becomes someone viable? will buy us? <laughs> well, you know, or, or that the business becomes viable. Uh, you know, so. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, when you look at the roster of investors, they, you know, many of the large logistics companies and things like that. So, yep. 
I, yep, I agree. I don't know. I think they're probably smart people who work there. You know, can they make a mistake? Yes, but they, I, I'm very certain it's not just someone is like, oh, what the hell? We have 50 million spare. Let's just throw it at what three words. Like, I'm sure there there was a coherent plan and um, a, a logic behind it. Now, you you may disagree with that logic, but I, yeah, I, no, I, I, you know, there is a logic. Those investment decisions aren't made. Exactly. Um, exactly. On the spur of the moment, because they like Chris Sheldrick, um, they're made because they see a business opportunity, exactly. um, and um, time will tell. Um, of course, at this moment, uh, with my insider knowledge and published accounts, uh, I can tell you that Open Cages revenues are significantly higher than what Three Words. Oh, Stephen. So maybe. Know. Maybe there's an opportunity here, Ed. You think OpenKit should be valued at a couple hundred million? Is that what you're saying? I agree. I agree. Well, I, I just say, you know. <laughs> I mean, just say, yeah. If if smart people are putting tens of millions of pounds a year into what three words, maybe there's a smart person out there who'd like to put ten million or so into OpenCage. Well, I, I will certainly give them my what three words address and then come by and talk with me. So, okay, and, okay, okay. So anyway, good story from Chris Sheldrick. Um, I think thumbs up for the British Postal Service because I like the fact that there's a human side to the organization. Um, and we've been going on for ages, Ed. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we're in the song. We didn't have anything today, to so, talk about, so. and yet we've been going on for ages. So let's wrap it up and say. Always a pleasure to catch up, Stephen. So great thanks to talk to you, Ed. Speak to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon.